So here we are. We're back on track now. The sermon series is called Wandering But Not Lost. We've been looking at Moses and the Israelites. And a few weeks ago, we had seen God calling Moses in that burning bush, calling him when he was 80 years old, at an age when we would be enjoying retirement, God tells Moses he's going to have a career change. And he calls him and sends him, and even though Moses has all these excuses, God still calls him and still sends him. So just to kind of recap what, what we looked at a few weeks ago, you're going to need your pew Bible today because we are looking at a lot of chapters actually today. So if you want to get one of those Bibles out in front of you. And uh, like I mentioned, um, I am uh, still recovering from the effects of COVID. I get very winded and very tired very easily. So for all the scripture readings, I had one of our teens uh, record the readings, uh, Derek Deal, and I want to thank him for that. So let's take a look. This is page 48 in your pew Bible. This is Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites from whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So, God has seen the Israelites. He saw their pain, he saw their oppression, he saw the, the, the torture, the abuse that they had been receiving, and he sent Moses to do something about it. So Moses and Aaron, they go to see Pharaoh. So now look at chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things with their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. And so it begins. A big showdown. A battle of the wills uh, between Pharaoh, who maybe the most powerful person in the world at that time, and God. And so God sends these ten plagues to break that, that ego, to, to force Pharaoh to let the Israelites go and worship God. But before we get to those ten plagues, 
just a few things about them. First of all, these ten plagues were natural things, but used supernaturally. Um, they certainly had seen locusts and frogs before. But the timing, the severity, the, the scope, those were not natural things. You know, every once in a while you hear about a, a hundred-year flood, and the idea that you know, it's, it's a flood so bad it only happens every hundred years. Well, think of 1,000-year disasters. Ten of them piled up right after another. There's nothing natural about that. The second thing about these plagues is that they were aimed. They were directed at Egyptian gods. Um, the Egyptians had 2,000-plus deities that they prayed to and worshipped. And these plagues directly were aimed at a bunch of them. We're going to see some examples of that. And it's all to show the next thing. God is bigger. He's bigger than those Egyptian gods. He is, if you remember back when God called a, uh, Moses in that burning bush, he gave Moses his name. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yahweh. It means I am. God is bigger. God is independent of everyone. God is more powerful than all these Egyptian gods. And then the last thing is that these plagues, as, as they sequence, they are progressive in their severity. So let's dig in. The first plague, this is Exodus chapter 7, um, beginning at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let people go. Go to the Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take your hand, the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all of the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelt so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by the secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went to his palace, and did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get the drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. And so this first plague was the plague of blood. Now, remember what I said? These plagues were, were natural things, but used supernaturally. Interesting thing is that the Nile River sometimes actually does turn red. Uh, here's a picture from a satellite of it being red. Uh, with the right circumstances, there's some algae that, that can grow and it will dye, it will color the, the river red. 
But that's not what this is. This is not like a, when they color the, the Chicago River green. This is not just a, a, a change of the color. It's turned to blood. The, the fish all died. And you, you can imagine the stench of all that fish just, just rotting along the shore. It, it was, it, this was not natural. Now, did you also catch that Pharaoh's magicians, they could actually duplicate this. They could also turn water into blood. But notice what they couldn't do. They couldn't reverse it. Now, there are a number of gods that are associated with the Nile River for the Egyptians. And this plague directly um, showed who is way far more powerful. And yet, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Uh, literally, it says it's like he, he planted his feet firm and he was not going to move. Remember what I said about the plagues being um, sequential? This was annoying. They could get water. They could get drinking water from, from ground water, but it meant it was not freely available, kind of like last year trying to find toilet paper. Annoying, but they could live through it. The next plague also was annoying, and that's the frogs. Look at the last verse of chapter 7 going into verse, or chapter 8. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace, and into your bedroom, and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials, and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked with them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now, there are normally frogs along the Nile River like any river. But notice here, God actually had Pharaoh set the exact time for this. That was not natural. Now, frogs are normally along the river, but this was not just along the river. These frogs were everywhere. And just to give you a visual of that, take a look at this, okay? Think of frogs everywhere, in your house, in your bed, just everywhere. This was not natural, and then they all died. Again, you can imagine the stench of this. And th then there's an interesting thing here, right? Because I said that these plagues were aimed at Egyptian gods. Well, here is the Egyptian frog god. Um, Heket, I think is how it's pronounced. Again, 
God showed he was bigger and stronger, and yet Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so, another plague, the plague of gnats. Take a look at uh, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground. Gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats with their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he could not listen, just as the Lord had said. All right, we all know what gnats look like. You have a swarm of gnats, but that this was not just a swarm. These bugs were everywhere, on animals, on people. And, and notice something here, right? Of Pharaoh's magicians, they tried, but they could not duplicate this. In fact, they even said that this was the finger of God. It reminds you of the centurion at, at the bottom of the cross and what he said about Jesus. You know, there's times when, when people who, who have no knowledge of God and his word, they, they, they see things for what it is. Now, like I said, the, these, these plagues are progressive. The, these first three plagues are just annoying, but it's something people could live through. The next three plagues really start hitting the Egyptians where it hurt, their bank account. Plague four is the flies. This is Exodus chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river, and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on the people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even on the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into the Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. So I grew up along the Mississippi River, and along any river, there's always bugs. So along the Mississippi River, um, for a few weeks during the middle of the summer, there's something called mayflies that come out. This is what they look like. After mayflies hatch, they swarm. And uh, when they swarm like this, when they've hatched, they only have 24 hours to live. They don't even have mouths, so they, they don't bite, they don't do anything, they're just annoying. In fact, when they swarm, um, they're only there to, to mate and lay eggs. The swarm actually shows up on radar. It's how much they are. And then they die. And so actually in the middle of July, sometimes they get out the snow plows to plow off the mayflies from the bridges. So when I think of flies and swarms, that's exactly what I think of. However, the flies here in Egypt were not mayflies, and they weren't household common flies. 
probably what was called dog flies. They bite. Uh, they, they actually drink or eat blood. And th- their bites are very painful and cause severe inflammation. They, they, for whatever reason, they, they love to bite at the corner of your eyes. So you can imagine people who are, who are bit by these flies. It's a lot of pain. They're not able to work. And if you can't work, that means no money. This was starting to hurt the Egyptians. But just them. You notice, this did not affect the Israelites, God's people. They lived in the region called Goshen, and the flies were not there. And yet, Pharaoh did not listen. He, he hardened his heart. And so, plague number five, which really hurt them in their bank account, the plague of livestock. This is uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Pharaoh investigated and found out that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he could not let the people go. So here you have some kind of um, cross-species disease, and it kills off all these livestock, all these animals. But no animal of the Israelites died. Like I said, you know, each of these plagues... um, is aimed at an Egyptian god. The Egyptian god of Bull is called Apis. No Egyptian god could stand in the way of the true god. And yet, Pharaoh was unyielding. And so, another plague, the plague of boils. This is chapter 9, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace, and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on the people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said to Moses. So these boils, these infected sores were on all the remaining animals, the people. I mean, you know how health care costs are, right? They can pile up. And, and if you're not working, that means you're not bringing income. These last three plagues hurt the Egyptians financially. Even the magicians couldn't stand it. But with this plague, there's something different that happens. Pharaoh had been so stubborn, he had refused, he had hardened his heart so many times, this time, God does it for him. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to talk more about that later. So as, remember, these plagues progress. The next three, these become dangerous and disastrous. First, 
plague of hail. This is chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. For this time I will send the full force of plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that could have wiped them off the earth. But I have raised you up from this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt. From that day I, it was founded till now. Give an order to bring your livestock and everything you have in your field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I, my people, are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough of this hot thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay here any longer. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out into the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured out on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. God was giving them every chance. He told Pharaoh to let his people go worship or receive the full force of the plagues. And then he gives the most accurate weather forecast ever. He gave the exact time, the exact moment when this storm, this hail would come. And some people heeded the warning, and some did not. Now, we know what a hailstorm looks like. This was a hailstorm in Italy a year or two ago. It can be extremely destructive. This is what we know. And that is nothing compared to what happened here. And yet, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God sent another plague to destroy whatever the hail didn't. Plague number eight is the locust. This is chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of the officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long you will refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that they cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing on your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. 
And the Lord made east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind has brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there be ever again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees, nothing green remained on the tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. In Egypt, evidently, normally the locusts come from the south. And remember what I said about these plagues. These were natural things, but used supernaturally. God had this wind come from the east, and the locusts came. Now, we know what locusts can look like today, and here's a video of that. But did you catch how this is described? If this is what happens today, this says there has never been and never will be anything as bad as this. It was so bad that the officials turned against Pharaoh. And this time, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again. And so we get to plague number nine, darkness. This is uh, chapter, chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. It's possible this darkness was a, a massive sandstorm. You know, it was so dark they could, they could feel it. Whatever it actually was, for three days it blocked out the sun. You know what the Egyptian sun god is? Ra. For three days, no light. But not for the Israelites. The Israelites could see just fine. And again, this time, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Which brings us to the last and most severe of these plagues, the plague of the firstborn. Now, we're not going to look at the verses because there are just so many verses about this last plague. So basically, God has the firstborn son of every family, whether it's animal or person, and is killed. Only those who follow God's command about the Passover and they, they paint blood of a lamb on the doorpost, they are spared, but the rest are not. Now remember, each of these plagues is, is aimed at a, an Egyptian god or, or several of them. 
So what do you think this plague is aimed at? The Egyptians thought that Pharaoh was a god. And so the next Pharaoh god did not become a Pharaoh god. Pharaoh's son died. Now, there are so many things we, we could delve into and spend time on, but let's just look at three more things. The first is this. You reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. When you face off against God in, in a contest of wills, um, there are going to be consequences. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He, he dug his heels in. He would not move. He refused to let the people go and worship God. God gave him many opportunities. But eventually, enough was enough. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The second thing is that the occult is real. But God is stronger. These uh, magicians, they were able to replicate those first few plagues, right? That, that wasn't sleight of hand like some street magician. They were able to do it. The devil is real. The occult is real. Their power is real. But God is much stronger. They might have been able to replicate a few of the plagues, but they weren't able to reverse what God did. God is stronger. And the third thing is, is what's all this about? Why go through all this? Why did this happen? It's all about worship. What did God tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship God. It wasn't about getting them freedom from, from slavery, all that, that did happen. This was first and foremost about worshiping God. So I want you to think about that and take that to heart. Do, do we make such an effort, that much effort to worship? This, um, you know, what, what they went through to worship kind of puts us to shame when we even wonder, eh, should I ask off of work to go to church? I, I read a, a blog a, a few weeks ago, and, and the title really intrigued me. It, it's, how to disciple your kids into church dropout status. And the first point they said, attend church sporadically. I'm going to just read what it said. It said, if you treat church like an option, your children will too. If going to church is contingent only on nothing else going on, if sports or hobbies or vacations frequently take priority over gatherings with God's people, how could this not, over time, imprint itself upon your kids? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here to worship, and I am so appreciative of that. But then let's make sure that this is a place people want to come to worship at. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, these plagues remind me of the, the connection between destruction 
and redemption. If you've ever had a surgery, you understand what this is. In order to fix something in a surgery, there has to be some destruction. The surgeon has to cut through the skin, through the muscle, move the muscle, move an organ to get to the thing to fix. And so the recovery after surgery is not so much about the thing that was fixed, it was about the things that, that needed to be cut and, and destroyed in a way. Destruction and redemption go hand in hand, and, and that is true also for us. For our redemption, there had to be destruction for Jesus. Jesus was destroyed. He died on that cross to pay for our sins, to, to pay for the times when, when we don't value worship that much or our, our, our habits affect the habits of our children or we don't make this a place that people want to come to. Jesus was destroyed for all our sins and just like the, the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, it is the blood of Jesus that redeems us. He was destroyed in order to destroy sin, even death and, and certainly the devil. And so, like the Israelites then, we have been set free. But we've not been set free just to be free. We have been set free to serve. I don't know if you remember that the gospel reading I read um, earlier in the service about that woman that was caught in adultery and Jesus was drawing on the, on the ground and and everyone left, and he didn't condemn the woman. But he did say, go and sin no more. She was set free to serve. In fact, even the word that's translated here to worship, it means to serve. To worship God, it means you're saying he is worth your time, your effort. He's worth you. God has set us free, not to do what we want, but to serve, to, to worship him. So whether you're here, whether you're online, wherever you are, our response to God's power, our response to his deliverance, our response to God's forgiveness is to worship him. And so when we are wandering through life, not lost, but wandering, as we go through our life, God has set us free, not to serve ourselves, but to serve, to, to worship him. God bless you as you wander through life doing that very thing. Amen.